This episode of Gospel Riot is brought to you by AGTV. It's a new streaming service from the folks that brought you the American Gospel films. All kinds of theologically sound content from Ligonier, Stephen McCaskill, from Media Gratier, and yes, from yours truly. I'm going to give you some more details a little later in the episode, but for now, if you run over to watchagtv.com, you can sign up, and if you use the code RIOT at checkout, you'll save 10% on your entire subscription, and they'll know that I sent you. Watchagtv.com, code RIOT to save 10%. What's up? Caleb calling in from Colorado. Shout out to all my Mile High homies. Uh, just a recommendation for you all. If you are making your s'mores with regular bars of chocolate, then that's a sad disgrace because you should be making them with Reese's Peanut Butter Cups or Kit Kat bars. It is far superior. But next time you're making some s'mores, you know, normal graham crackers, normal marshmallows, the big one, of course, and then use Reese's Peanut Butter Cups or a Kit Kat bar. Thanks. I actually tried this exact thing last night, believe it or not. My wife loves Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. She loves s'mores. It got into like the mid-60s last night, which is pretty cold for Florida. So we had a, a nice campfire with our friends. And uh, my wife brought the s'mores ingredients, and we had we had some s'mores. I'm not really into s'mores. I'm just not into like jamming a lot of sugar into my face in general. Um, I don't know how you do that once you're past 30 but, uh, you know, maybe you're not, Caleb. I don't know. I will say the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup was an improvement over a regular milk chocolate piece of, you know, Hershey bar or whatever. But, again, I got to stick to my guns here. Dark chocolate is is infinitely better than, than uh, milk chocolate. Always. I'd always just rather have dark chocolate. They should make, they probably do, but I've never had one. Dark chocolate Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. That would be bomb. Um, so, yes, Kayla, that is a really good recommendation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a reco back at you. This is something my daughter and I discovered when we were on a trip together, just the two of us, just me and my, my little girl. We, were, uh, we went to a conference together, um, and we were hanging out in the hotel room at night. We wanted to get some snacks, hang out, watch TV, eat some snacks. And uh, we went to the store. We found... For the first time, I'd never seen them before, Fiery Hot Funyuns. Now, they're kind of around now, but this was when they first came out. So we're excited. We got some Fiery Hot Funyuns. Apparently, you're not supposed to give the Fiery Hot stuff to children that are uh, you know, under the age of 12, I guess. It can like destroy their stomachs. But ignorance is bliss, right? Didn't do anything to her. Uh, anyway, uh, as we're walking past the dip aisle, I see French onion dip. This little uh, bell dings in my mind. A little light bulb goes off. And I buy the French onion dip, and we spend all night in the hotel room watching Impractical Jokers, dipping our fiery hot Funyuns into the French onion dip, and it was epic. Greatest snack ever. I'm going to put it out there. You decide for yourself. If you'd like to leave a voicemail for the show, call 772-324-9328. I'd love it if you did. What else I would love if you ran over to Apple Podcasts and left a five-star review Really helpful for a show in its infancy, like my little my little bouncing eight pound baby show in its infancy. Uh, it it would it'd be the 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 best way to feed it that that milk that will make it grow. Uh, please leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts today on the show. We're talking about how Christians should consider 
how we should think through the difficulties, the real difficulties in life. We're talking about suffering. All that and more today on Gospel Riot. Welcome to Gospel Riot. I'm Les Lanfear. Joining me on the show today is, he's a pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church, and he's the co-host of a great podcast, Mortification of Spin. His name is Todd Pruitt. Thanks for joining me, Todd. Happy to be with you. Thanks for having me on. So we're going to be talking about not the most fun subject to talk about, but (laughs) maybe uh, the most encouraging, if you can uh, get your, your theology right on this subject. I think I could say that this past year, a little bit more than this past year, was the most suffering that I've ever gone through. Uh, And I think uh, a lot of people are recognizing suffering uh, in a way that they they haven't thought about for a long time uh, this year. Mm -hmm. How, How important do you think it is to have a right theology of suffering? You know, some years ago, um, we were interviewing a, uh, a Presbyterian pastor, a young guy, fairly young in his, in his late thirties, um, husband and father and a pastor. And, uh, he had gone through, he, he was kind of on the tail end of, of cancer treatments, was getting good reports. So he was very thankful for that. But it had been a long year and a half or so for he and his family getting the diagnosis and and going through the treatments and the uncertainty of it. Um, and, and one comment he made to us as we were interviewing him, and we interviewed him because he wrote a, 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 a book on suffering, particularly in, in, in experiencing cancer as a Christian. And we asked him, how have, has the Lord sustained you through all of this, you and your family? And the first comment he made was, um, my theology came through for me. Mm. Um, and, and it was great because, you know, it's coming from this man, you know, not at all in a glib way, but in a, a way that was very anchored to reality for him. Meaning, you know, what has kept me afloat, it has been knowing the truth. What's kept, you know, my wife and my children and I afloat through these things has been knowing what the truth is. And, and I hear that so many times from people, from Christians who, who are suffering well. In one way or another, that's kind of the story they tell, is how truth, how God assists them through knowing the truth. Sometimes he turns their circumstances around uh, to into very pleasant providences, and they get a great report from the doctor or whatever. Sometimes that doesn't happen. But in both cases, I keep hearing the same basic testimony, which is God has sustained me. In, in his truth and the knowledge of the truth, what we learn from his revealed word about who he is, what he's like, and why I'm here. Those things have buoyed me through, you know, the worst of times. And so theology, I mean, how do we, how, you know, I, I don't know if it's possible to overestimate or exaggerate the role of, of, of theology, the, the role of proper truth in sustaining us through our sufferings. It, 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 it means so much. Um, and, and, and for those who want to separate God from the truth is, well, you know, it's not theology that sustained me. It's God. Well, that's a false dichotomy. Yeah. You know, that that's separating means from ends. And, uh, and we don't want to do that. So when we say that our theology has, has sustained us through that, that's just another way of saying that God has sustained us through this. He's used his truth to yes. sustain us in our suffering. 
so something that struck me uh, recently, I was reading through the Psalms, and uh, Psalm 44 is is really interesting because it's one of those places where the there's there's suffering happening. The psalmist is remembering the good days, and now he's they're like losing all the wars, mm. and they're just um, the, the nation, God's people in general, are suffering. And and but but the it's one of those places where the psalmist is exonerating himself and the people of guilt. He's saying it's not because yeah. we are disobedient. You've seen that we've actually been. So it's you know it's a one of those good times in Israel where it seems like everyone's actually submitting to the Lord, but the Lord is del- is giving them over to this sort of suffering. Um, yeah. And and it's also one of those psalms that ends with that great kind of uh, prayer. Like, wake up, God, where are you? Uh, and I always, uh, th- that, that's always very encouraging to me when we're, when we're given the permission to speak to the Lord in that way. Yeah, you know, the Psalms give us this full range of, of, of sanctified vocabulary, mm. you know, if you will, in terms of, of how to uh, speak uh, to the Lord, how to speak to ourselves, how to speak to the world. The Psalms give us this great spiritual sanctified vocabulary, and a- as well as, categories of thought. And one of the things that the Psalms give us is that there's kind of this proper place, you know, for for what I would call a a sanctified complaint, Mm -hmm. you know, not complaint in the way that we always think about it in our modern context, but but in in more ancient context, you know, complaint uh, was not just a uh, a wholly negative thing. Complaint also carried with it this idea of uh, you know, you know, oh Lord, why? You know, why, why am I going through this? And there, and there are improper ways to do that, but there are thoroughly proper ways to do that as well. And the Psalms help to give us a language for that, for the, for the honest seeker to say, Lord, I, I don't get this. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to accuse you of wrongdoing, Lord. I want you to watch my heart, but I don't understand this. And there is a place for God's. Um, people in a fallen world to lift up that cry, and the Psalms give us permission to do that, which yeah. is comforting. It's it's good. The Lord is not made insecure by our insecurity. The Lord's not made insecure by our dismay. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you you just you talk about that holy complaint. We have this uh, in our theological circles. There's there's a big reaction to the the question: Why do bad things happen to good people? And rightfully yeah. so, right? Theologically, I sure. think the, the 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 more important thing to understand theologically is that there is no such thing as a good person. Sure. But it, the Bible does ask that question quite a bit, and yes. so we can't write it off completely. Yes. Uh, the Book of Job right. basically is: Why is this bad thing happening to this good person? Um, you know, because he he Job does was he, a good man. He was yeah. he was a good man. Um, and so so back to uh, Psalm forty four. Uh, there's this quotation that. Paul uses in Romans 8, uh, uh, yet for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And that that phrase, we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, is really really jumping out to me, especially, you know, <laughs> call it paranoia, but the the way that our culture seems to be going in, in uh, sure. and it's, it's uh, I don't know, abject hatred of everything that Christians right. would stand for. Um, yeah. If if we don't have the theological category of sometimes an entire generation, it seems that their only purpose was to be killed. 
sheep yeah. to be slaughtered. That's how he views himself. That's how Paul was viewing the first century Christians. Right. They're, that's their only purpose. That's all they're there for is to be martyred. Yeah, sheep, sheep among wolves. Yeah, we've gotten so far away from from that. We, you know, even the best of us probably have a little bit of prosperity gospel, like like lingering in, sure. in our in our theology. Um, and I think that if we don't repair that, uh, we're, we're in for for uh, some rude awakenings. Yeah, the uh, the prosperity gospel, as you mentioned, um, goes goes far deeper than it's just than than its most um, egregious practitioners like Kenneth Copeland and Creflo Dollar and those fools. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the the prosperity gospel has leaked in very much to to churches and to Christians and to pastors who otherwise abominate, rightly so, the prosperity gospel because anytime we we, we have this expectation that a Christian should avoid um, most of the suffering, you know, in, in the world, or, or that the Christian should avoid chronic suffering. And this is where I find oftentimes the dismay sets in, is that we can, we can, we can come up with a quick answer for, for, for momentary suffering, but, but it's the chronic long-term suffering that really begins to to, to try our ourself and 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 to and to kind of show up a lot of our previous answers as as, as inadequate and so um, the and you know Jesus this idea of, of of wolves among sheep you know Jesus and he, when he, when he's sending out the seventy into the world to to begin to declare the kingdom you know he he makes he makes them very aware of the fact I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves well you know the only thing that a sheep does for a wolf is provide it with food, um, as, you know, as you alluded to already. I mean, that's what happens to sheep among wolves is they get hurt, they get eaten, they get devoured. And so, you know, Jesus wanted his followers to be very, very clear about the fact and open-eyed to the fact that in a world that hates Christ, and the world has always hated Christ, mm-hmm. um, uh, his people are going to be harmed. You know, Jesus taught us to expect, you, you see how the world has treated me, why would you expect the world to treat you any better? Now, us Western Christians, you know, we've gotten, a, 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 you know, an odd kind of reprieve from that for most of our history. But as you observed, um, the, the pressure from the world is increasing exponentially in the West. Um, and right here in the United States as well. When you have elected officials basically saying Christians are the enemy of the state, which is what they're saying when they say Christians who believe what Christians have always believed are bad, um, it's not a huge leap from going from our highest officials in the, in the nation saying Christians are bad and bigoted. It's not a big leap to go from there to outright persecution. In fact, it's a bigger leap to go from where we used to be to where we are now than to go from where we are now to outright persecution. It's a shorter leap to to get to persecution from where we are now, because now Christians are in this posture of having to justify our very existence um, simply because we believe that there are two genders or because, you know, because we, we affirm biblical sexual ethics. You know, that, mm-hmm. that puts us now at odds with the world. And so, you know, as a pastor, 
you know, I'm, I'm having increased conversations with people in, in my church, and I guarantee a lot of people listening to you are experiencing this. I'm having increased conversations with people who are saying, I don't know if I'm ever going to get a promotion again. Right. Because we have to fill out a form where we pledge X, Y, and Z, you know, solidarity with this movement. I, I'm in a university town. Uh, James Madison University has, you know, 22,000 students. And, and there are members of my church who are on faculty and administration at that university who are now kind of keeping their head down low, wondering when, it, when, you know, when it's going to come for them. And, and when they're going to lose their job. I mean, that's a very real thing. That's when you see states that can now run business, small business owners into bankruptcy because they won't lend their talents to the celebration of a homosexual marriage. We're, we are there. We're on the cusp of it. And so Christians have to, to be ready to steal themselves against that kind of thing. And how are we going to remain faithful? And how are we going to resist compromise when the suffering really comes, when the persecution, when that brand of suffering, persecutorial suffering really comes? And we may not be far away. Yeah, and, and I mean, isn't the natural reaction to everything you just said? Like, it, you know, I think there's a lot of people, there's a lot of even Christians out there that just aren't prepared to actually hear that. Um, you know, right. it's just, and it's kind of frustrating because I, like, I want us, it's, it's really hard to come together and have, have a unity, uh, and, <laughs> re- and really start to think about how to, how to do the future for the church when, right. when, you know, it seems like even a majority maybe aren't, aren't ready to hear the sort of, the sort of warnings right. that I think the writing is on the wall. Um, right. but, and part of that is self-preservation, uh, mentally and all that, because, mm-hmm. When I started to understand the stuff that you're saying is is true, that it's kind of knocking on our door, um, my first reaction was overwhelming anxiety. Um, that is, yeah. that's some terrifying yeah. stuff to think that your entire world's going to be upside down. You're going to be threatened in ways that you're not prepared for. So, h- how do you think? Yeah. How do you think you um, you avoid just being overcome with anxiety? Yeah, you know. Um, Carl and I on Mortification Spin, we recently interviewed Rod Dreher on his new book, Live Not by Lies, which I consider essential reading. Um, that, that book, Live Not by Lies by Rod Dreher, and, and Carl's new book, quite honestly, um, the, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, those are the two most important books of the year, I believe. Now, what Dreher says is really a keen insight, because, because we teased Rod a little bit about just how pessimistic he is in his writing. You, know, right, you, right, you right. read his columns and you walk away going, oh my gosh, yeah. we're going to hell. It's, but, but Rod is actually a, a very happy person. You know, he's very kind of a happy person. But he, he made this statement. He said, there's a big difference between optimism and hope. Mm. He said, you know, in America, we, we place a high premium on, on optimism. Everything's going to be okay kind of thing. And, and, and we end up anchoring our hope in this false confidence that our circumstances are just getting ready to turn around. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, Christians are going to have to more and more understand that optimism and hope are two different things. Our circumstances might not get better. Um, In fact, they might get worse increasingly. And we may not even live to see our circumstances get better. 
So we need to abandon kind of false optimism that any day it's going to turn around for me now and replace that with something that's better and deeper, which is Christian hope, which is grounded ultimately in the age beyond this age, which, which helps us to understand that even though things in this world in my day might not get better, that they might actually get worse. In fact, we have good reason for believing they're going to get worse. Even though that's true, it cannot ultimately steal me, steal from me all of my joy because my hope is anchored, anchored somewhere else. Yes, America. Now, that, that doesn't mean that then, for, therefore, we just say to hell with America. Yeah. Um, we can't do that because we love our neighbor and we want America to do well because that's good for our neighbor. But it may not do well. Tyranny may indeed come. And if it does, if we don't have a justifiable reason to say, oh, it's getting ready to get better, we still have hope because we're anchored in something beyond this present passing away age. Yeah. And, and that's got to be a lot of our preaching in these days for pastors. Um, pastors have to, American pastors have to realize that a major part of their duty as a pastor is to prepare people to suffer well. That, that's a big, big part of their, of, of their preaching and their pastoral care. How can I help people to suffer well? That, that historically has been a massive part of the pastoral self-understanding uh, throughout history. It's just been, you know, in 20th century America with all of our comforts, that hasn't needed to be front and center, but we need to rediscover that duty and that pastoral art of, of helping people learn how to suffer well. So there's, I think there's a lot of um, misunderstanding about, so we, we, we read through the Bible and we see all over the place that the Lord causes his people to suffer. I think that yeah. that's, uh, and you know, a lot of people are even uncomfortable with that language. He allows his yep. people to suffer all these things. And that's, you know, whatever, that's sort of debatable, I guess. Um, but, but I think people come to strange conclusions sometimes, which maybe even seem to indicate that God is cruel or God mm. wants wants bad things to happen. And, like, you know, he's got to put you through the meat grinder to make him more like Jesus. And it just, like, I don't know. It, 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 it seems to paint a weird picture. If, if you could summarize or you could sort of help someone understand, um, why, why does God use suffering— uh, to mm. sanctify his people. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a that's such a big and important question and when when I'm asked the why, typically what I'll do is I'll say, well, first of all, let me give you the big overarching answer to that question. The the why of your suffering, the big major ultimate answer to that question is for God's glory. Mm. Now, there, there's, there's going to be more to it, but first of all, let's learn how to be affirming in that and how to say, you know, a, a, along with, you know, along with Jesus's instructions, why, you know, why was this man born blind? Well, it wasn't, you know, it, it didn't have anything directly to do with his parents' sin. It, it, it ultimately was so that God would glorify himself through these circumstances. Now, so, so the first thing we want to say behind the why is, first of all, I want to assure you, sufferer, that your suffering is ultimately for the glory of God. And, and one of the reasons that is a source of comfort for us is because it proves to us that our suffering is not random, 
It's not the result of God being capricious or cruel. Um, it, it's it's not you being on, um, you, you know, being held loosely on a, on a, on a tether that the Lord can't quite reach you. It's none of those things. To to know that my suffering is ultimately for the glory of God means that God sees me, He knows me, He is in control of this circumstance, and He is using my present pain for a a purpose that is that is greater and bigger than just me alone. Okay, so that's the first big overarching question, um, answer to that question. But there are subsidiary answers also, because um, as we get closer to my particular kind of suffering, well, may, you know, is my suffering because of cancer? Is my suffering because um, somebody betrayed me? Is my suffering um, because of, of, you know, any other number of reasons. Is my suffering because of a sin I committed? Because let's face it, some of our suffering is because we've done something foolish yep. or, or we've committed a sin. And, 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 and there's something we need to learn from that. We need to, you know, we need to, to embrace the Lord's discipline if we're actually his children um, in that. So there's all these other kinds of categories. Um, D.A. Carson's book that came out a number of years ago, um, how long, O Lord, is is really helpful because he just traces all through, through the scripture all these different categories for the whys behind suffering. You know, they're suffering because of sin. They're suffering because of disease. They're suffering because of, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, and so, you know, we, we can talk about that a, a little bit as well. Ultimately, though, there might be some mystery there. You know, one of the things that, that I don't want to do when I'm sitting down with someone, for instance, who has cancer is to say, you know, I, I, I think I've determined that, that your suffering is for this reason. You know, we don't ever want to go to somebody with that. We do want to comfort right. them with God is going to be glorified. And we need to be able to say that in a way that's not trite, but, but that still doesn't apologize for that. God's yeah. going to be glorified in this. I, I, need, I need to be reminded in my times of dismay, in my times when I'm experiencing pain, that that is not directly due to maybe something foolish I've done, but but a legitimate cause. I, I need to know that God's going to redeem this, that God's going to do something. Because if, if we're his children, then we value him being glorified. And I need to know, and I need to be reminded, Todd, this is for his glory. This is for his glory. And and then to, to, to also know that he is building and and, and refining what is precious in your life through the suffering, namely your faith. Hmm. You know, this is, this is Romans chapter 5, where, where Paul takes it as a great comfort that suffering can be used and is used by God to refine my faith, that for the Christian, that ought to be something very, very precious, hmm. that, wow, God is going to use this to make my faith like gold. And, and what I have found, this has been my experience as a pastor for a long time now, is the people who are actually undergoing the suffering love and are comforted by that news. The people I find who want to balk at that the most aren't the sufferers, yeah, but the non-sufferers who are observing the suffering. I, I have found over and over and over again that that's typically the case, that the ones who are undergoing the suffering God has a way of providing grace that makes them treasure all the more his glory in my suffering, 
and his good to me and my suffering by refining my faith. The sufferer, the Christian sufferer, typically, in my experience, typically gets that. Yeah. And is learning that in ways that the non-sufferer just doesn't really understand yet. That whole idea, it's just so counterintuitive. Um, Like Philippians 129 For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. It's been granted. It's It's been granted to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I mean, like, I don't know, just just thinking through how that even works, it's it's just so mind-blowing and contradictory on its surface that I'm I'm suffering, which means I'm experiencing pain and confusion and all those other, all the things that go along with it. But at the same time, I'm I'm growing in my faith. So there's this supernatural underlying comfort, but like, how do you even put that into words when your life is actually experiencing, uh, being described as, as suffering? Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, Paul, you know, Paul had, had, you know, this amazing testimony of suffering because he himself had, had suffered so much. If you go through you know, his list of the sufferings he endured, and, and he writes about it, kind of gives a laundry list of it in Second Corinthians chapter 11. And, and one of the reasons why he's, why he's producing the, 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 the written testimony of all the different kinds of suffering he'd gone under, you know, the 39 lashes five times, the beating with rods on multiple occasions, you know, he, even in, um, uh, in the region of Galatia, he had he had been stoned and, and survived it. You know, can you imagine what yeah. his body looked like? They thought he was dead. You know, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, here's a guy. You know, this is before modern medicine and and modern ways of setting you know bones and that kind of thing. You know, Paul probably looked like a wreck. You know, you could probably hear him walking towards you before you saw him, just in terms of all the the cranking and the creaking of joints that had not healed properly and that kind of thing. Man. And and one of the reasons why he presents that is because the the the, the so called super apostles in the Corinthian church were were saying Paul can't possibly be an apostle because he suffers. Mm-hmm. And we know that, you know, for any who have the favor of God, they don't suffer. And Paul suffers, ergo, he can't be an apostle. And, and Paul, you know, shows, no, actually, my suffering is the very signature of God upon my life. My suffering is the very thing that proves my apostleship. And so Paul you know, again, you know, you, you, you mentioned Philippians, you know, one of the things he says in Philippians is that, you know, I want to know Christ and share in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming conformed like him unto his death. You know, you know, this is remarkable. Paul saw suffering as something that is necessary to the Christian life. For one thing, it's unavoidable because, because all those desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted in a Christ hating world. So it's unavoidable from one degree or another but it's also necessary for God in his work to refine us and and to sanctify us and to build and deepen our faith. Those things that matter long after our money and possessions are gone, those are the things that matter and last. So, you know, we, 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 we don't have to look at our suffering and say, I, I am so glad to be in pain right now. Right. You know, we, we don't want to say that, you know, uh, we're not Gnostics. We don't hate our physical existence. But we are to look upon our suffering as something that is in the hands of the Lord for his glory and for our good. 
and to have that conviction. And those things have to be preached from the pulpit so that it, when you're in the hospital room, you're not having to catch people up. Mm. You know, they already, you've equipped them well so that when they're in the hospital room, then you can just hug, then you can just pray, then you can just sing a psalm together because you've already built up the people in the knowledge of the truth. We should see it coming. We shouldn't be surprised yes. every time suffering yes. comes. Um, so what exactly. would you, have you talked to a lot of people who um, through this past year are like just, you know, yeah. just suffering just mentally and like all the, all the weird uh, anxiety yeah. and, and stuff like that. Um, how do you, how do you sort of in general uh, help those people think through what's mm -hmm. going on? Yeah. So my experience is, yes, I mean, we, we have seen an increase in people seeking counseling and pastoral care, which has been doubly frustrating because, you know, up until recently, you know, we haven't even been able to, to go over to somebody's home, Yeah. you know, and so it, it's just made the whole thing worse. You know, it's taken, you know, for instance, the people in my church who are struggling with cancer, the whole COVID thing has spiked it with an extra degree of of cruelty, it seems, right. you know, it, it, it's just made it worse. And so, so yeah, I mean, this is a time where, where we are having to speak into this, um, all the more. And, and again, you know, it, it, it's going back and rehearsing the same, uh, timeless truths again. Um, we, we, we don't have to come up with new and novel answers to the same hurt that, that God's people have known for generations, you know, we, but we, we keep taking them back to the Psalms. We keep mm -hmm. taking them back to the words of Jesus and the words of the apostles. We keep taking them back to those, those words of the Lord to us that generations of Christians have been comforted by that our brothers and sisters who are living in China right now, are being comforted by, that our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, who are literally being led away to the slaughter, are being comforted by now. We, you know, we need those same simple truths. God is, God is in this. God is sovereign. God is good. It's interesting. Um, I, this was driven home to me so powerfully when I was a, a, a pastor in my, in my early 30s, and I was serving as a as a pastor of a Southern Baptist church in Wichita, Kansas, blessed church, wonderful congregation of people. And um, it was not long after 9-11 and uh, some, some, some people that are listening to this will, will probably know the name of Gracia Burnham. Um, Martin and Gracia Burnham were, were missionaries serving in the Philippines um, and uh, Martin was a, a missionary pilot. He would ferry people all around the Philippines, uh, getting supplies, taking missionaries from place to place. This was their, their life, their calling, their passion. And um, not long after 9-11, of course, we saw a rise in other Islamic groups in different parts of the world. And in the Philippines, the Abu Sayyaf really started becoming active. And uh, they kidnapped a group of of Westerners not long after 9-11, and Martin and Gracia Burnham were among the people they kidnapped and held in the jungle of the Philippines for a year. Um, during that time, the Burnhams witnessed one of their fellow hostages beheaded right in front of them uh, uh, by the Abu Sayyaf. And eventually, after a year of captivity, 
um, special forces were able to locate them. They came in, there was a shootout and Martin Burnham was killed um, in, in, in the exchange of gunfire. Gracia herself was shot through the leg. Well, the Burnhams were from the Wichita area and she came back to the States, was reunited with their three young children. And I remember, you know, of course this was all over CNN, all over the news. And, uh, one Sunday morning, I'm out in the lobby of my church, greeting people, that kind of thing. And in comes Gracia Burnham and her three children now fatherless. I recognized her immediately from all the news reports and they had decided to visit this church they'd heard about. And so they come in. Now I was immediately struck with fear because here's the deal. I can't remember the passage I was preaching. I do remember the subject. The subject was suffering. Mm. And in walks Marsha Burnham. Uh, well, actually, she's still in a wheelchair because her leg is still in bad shape from having been shot. And her three orphaned children. They come in and they sit middle row, third row back. And so they're right in front of me. And I remember walking up to the pulpit that Sunday morning and saying, Lord, keep me from being glib keep me from being trite, keep me from saying anything that's not true. The Lord guarded my heart and mouth. I preached the message. Afterwards, I was going, Lord, I, I hope that meant something. She was very kind. She wrote me a very nice letter, and they ended up joining our church. But by my, what, what I remember about that moment was how important it is for us to speak the truth in those moments. She, she and her children did not need to hear it is not the Lord's will for you to suffer. They yeah. didn't need to hear that stuff, nor did they need to hear glibness on the other end. I, this is what Gracia said to me as I got to know her after she visited our church. She said one day, as I was just asking her questions about how, how she was dealing with this, you know, here they were serving the Lord. You know, isn't that a good thing to be a missionary in the Philippines? Isn't that a good thing? And the Lord brought that, you know, all of these questions are swirling in my mind. And I just was asking her about this. And she said, Todd, this is what I know. If I were writing the script, she said, we'd still be in the Philippines. We'd still be serving missionaries. Martin would still be flying missionaries and supplies all over the Philippines. And our children would be, be there with us. And it would be great. If I were writing the script, that's the way it would be. She said, but God is sovereign over this. And God is good. She said, those are the two things I know. Mm. And therefore, I don't despair. And I thought, okay, here is this woman who's forgotten more about suffering than I know yet. Mm. And what does she do? She goes back to those central truths. What did we say earlier? My theology came through for me. I know this, Todd. God is sovereign and God is good. And I thought, you know what? That's what I need to continue to hold forth before people. Because if someone who saw their husband murdered, who saw someone beheaded, who, who now has to, to raise her orphaned sons and daughter, can say, this is what sustains me. God is sovereign and God is good. If, if, if that's the thing that is buoying, buoying her spirit and getting her through, then how can I proclaim anything less than that? than those well-rehearsed truths? Yeah, it's actually true. It actually is true. And yeah. it actually does sustain the people who go through the worst. God is sovereign and God is good. That's that's amazing. It's 
there's a, a difficulty when I, when I think about that, uh, and then compare it to a lot of the suffering that, you know, Americans are going through right now, American Christians, especially, mm-hmm. um, cause it's like, we, we talk about these, the big examples of what suffering really looks like. And it's like, wow. And you know, nobody can question that she suffered like yeah, this real, right. a, a real thing. And then, and then you contrast that with what a lot of just normal Americans are going through right now. Not just Americans. Right. I, I shouldn't say it like that. Just people all over the world, really. But there's a shame attached to it because you're not really suffering, and <laughs> right. and you're you're being a baby about it. You're complaining. You know, just just yeah. follow all the rules, and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. And you, you can do this for you know question mark however long they're deciding we have to do these things. Um, right. And then so now your depression and your anxiety <laughs> and all of these things are just completely written off. And now you're made to right. feel ashamed for your suffering. Now that's, right. that's a different kind of suffering. And then it's, yeah. it's like, you can't even really vocalize it because nobody cares. And exactly. Um, so that's a exactly. Too. That's such an interesting, it's a really interesting point because I encounter that a lot among people that I serve as pastor mm-hmm. is they'll, they'll come to me and they'll, They'll talk about an area of suffering in their life, and then they'll immediately then begin to chastise themselves yes. because there are some people in the world that have it worse than them. Yeah. And I, I almost like have to say, well, now hold it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There are people who have horror stories, no doubt about it. But this thing you're dealing with is an honest area of pain. It really is an honest area of, of suffering for you, and it's okay for you to identify it as suffering because that's what it is. And it's interesting because one of the things I've found among those who suffer in in ways that we would look at as as acute, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, dealing with a, a a terrible diagnosis or or a loved one who who, who dies in a tragic car accident, um, I've never met someone who goes through those super acute mm-hmm. categories of suffering. Who who then says, unless you've gone through what I've gone through, you haven't really suffered. I've never met a sufferer. Who has, who has that kind of standard. And so, you know, I want to tell people, look, you know, increased pressure in your job because of the rise of immorality in our culture, that's a, that's a, a genuine category of Christian suffering. And it may get worse. Look at it as that. Embrace it as that. And therefore, because because if I'm not going to look at my suffering as actual suffering, because somewhere, some because someone somewhere in the world has it worse than me, if then then if I'm not going to call that suffering, then what I'm doing is I'm resisting is resisting then the comfort that God would comfort mm, me with. Yeah, and I don't want to do that. I want Him to comfort me. Ah. I need that. And so call it what it is. If it's suffering, call it suffering. Yeah, that's so good. It's um, it's like it's like the gospel. You know, you can't you can't be saved if you don't admit you're a sinner. You can't be you can't <laughs> right. be, you can't be comforted if you don't admit that you're suffering. That's uh, a real pain. That's so good. Uh, well, hey, yeah. can you stick around? We'll take a break and then we'll listen to some voicemails that some people send in about suffering. Sure, great. We'll be right back with Todd Pruitt. Oh hi, I didn't see you there. I'm just nestled in front of the fireplace watching some AGTV. AGTV has great content. And best of all, the theology is always just right. You can watch both American Gospel movies, films from Stephen McCaskill, the epic series starring Tim Challies, The Way of the Master TV show, tons of content from Ligonier, and yes, Spirit and Truth and Calvinist. Those are my films. I was going to work this into a AGTV and chill ad. 
but I can't work up the nerve. I feel like it's a line I probably shouldn't cross. You can watch AGTV on all your mobile devices. You can even watch it on your Apple TV or your Fire TV. You can do all that when you head over to watchagtv.com and use the code RIOT to save 10% off your entire subscription. That's watchagtv.com and use code RIOT to save 10%. And you know, uh, maybe watch it with your wife. AGTV and chill. Welcome back to Gospel Riot. I'm here with Todd Pruitt. We're going to listen to some voicemails. Hey, Grace of Peace this is uh, T. Barlow. Um, suffering is something that I've known intimately. Um, for us, like I, know, like I know, like a lot of people complaining about 2020. Uh, our 2020 was 2018 when we suffered one of the worst miscarriages we ever had, and my father was going through cancer. But like in the midst of it all, one of the biggest things that I took away from it was that um, God's perfect peace was felt in all of that suffering. I didn't want to take anything away from the suffering. The suffering was hard. Um, and, and, you know, and it felt unbearable, but like in the midst of that, um, I was just, I, I, I remember God's promises, uh, how this, this suffering is light and momentary and will never compare to the eternal weight of glory, um, that, that, that awaits us at the end of the road. So, um, suffering, even in suffering, I found that God to be a good God because it's his perfect peace, uh, was in that. And, um, yes, we cried. Yes, we had to. We did a lot of praying, and yes, there there was some healing that needed to take place. But God was never uh, absent from from that situation. He was always very present, and so yeah, grace and peace. So good. Mm. He he's I yeah. I love he's uh, talking about how all these things are happening at once, which seems to be um, well, oftentimes it it seems to be the way that, that's mm. you know I I said that I suffered a lot throughout this past year. It started. Uh, like October of last year, I had this crazy sort of experience that the Lord allowed to take place in my life, and um, it made, it just kind of messed me up for a while. And then on top of that, in came everything that comes with 2020, and it just made it so much weirder. Yeah. Um, and I will say, you mentioned before that the, going to the Psalms as a source of comfort, that I discovered the Psalms this year in such mm-hmm. a big way. And it's like, yeah. if people aren't, I, I can't even explain why. Because uh, you know you could think, uh, well, I'll flip to the you know, to Romans or I'll go to the the Gospels because that's where Jesus is being proclaimed and that's where my hope is and that's all true. You know, I'm not discounting that in any way. But there is there is just something about the Psalms that it's it's echoing what's going on in your own soul so often. Yeah, and and the psalmist uses you know these great images to help us understand um, or or to. To kind of grasp the the um, the nature of our suffering as actual suffering, you know, your breakers swept over me. Mm-hmm. You know, the image of of being in a pit. Uh, you know, all these different things, and you know, like what this brother just just shared that you that you played his message from. You, you know, what was he saying? He was saying kind of what we said earlier. His doctrine came through for him. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the truth of God's word came through for him. You know, he's, he's in the midst of these things where his, you know, legitimate loss, you know, a, a, a miscarriage and, and the loss of a father, you know, legitimate sources of, of real deep hurt and pain. What does he find? He finds that God's truth is true and that in the midst of that suffering, 
the Holy Spirit is present to apply that truth to our hearts. It still hurts, but there's something that happens in those moments where we're sustained in ways that we wouldn't think we'd be sustained if somebody told us, oh, in a month, these things are going to happen to you. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd think there's no way I'll make it through that. And God sustains us. He sustains us by his truth. There's a, a really simple apologetic argument that I learned from Bonson when I read Always Ready for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of mind-blowing. You know, I understood that God was sovereign over all things. But um, in the, you know, the, the question of how can God allow bad things to happen in the world if he's all-powerful and he's all good and blah. Um, and Bonson just very simply uh, said that, God has a morally sufficient reason for the evil that happens in the world. Yes. And, you know, it's a very simple argument to make, and uh, I think it, it really does uh, shut down that, the entire question uh, if, you, if you trust in a sovereign God. Um, mm-hmm. but, if, but then you apply that understanding to your life, and then we can actually say that every time I suffer, God is doing something, and he has a mm-hmm. reason for this. He has a purpose for it. And I, of course, I don't know what it is, but then mm-hmm. when you when you couple that with uh, what the caller mentioned, um, that this suffering is light and momentary compared compared to the the weight of glory, like in your mind, you can actually put those two things on a scale, and the more right. you're suffering, it actually if if you actually understand that that's nothing compared to the weight of glory, then it actually increases in your mind what the glory is going to be like. It's like, well, if it's this bad right. here, and this is going to be seen as nothing in eternity, then what's eternity going to be like? Right. And Romans 8, Romans 8 helps to prove to us that at least in, in contemporary Western Christianity, at least, um, we have spent far too little time preaching about, singing about, meditating upon the age to come. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the reality, you know, the life in the age to come in the new creation was, was, you know, uh, 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 central to the apostolic preaching. You know, you, you, you look at Paul and how much time he spent um, in his letters, comforting his readers with the promise of life in the new creation. Because these were people who knew, who felt every day that this wasn't home. You know, they had abundant evidence every day that this wasn't. And too much of our attention in, in, in contemporary Western Christianity has been trying to engineer a home here. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that, that's, that's not to say that, that, that we shouldn't um, uh, uh, seek to experience joy when we're south of heaven, but but we we've we've spent far too little time being heavenly minded, you know. And it's that it's that old American adage, Christian American adage, you know. He's too heavenly minded to be earthly good. And I think it was might have even been C.S. Lewis that kind of turned that on its head and say, no, the problem is, is that we're, we're no earthly good because we aren't heavenly minded enough. And 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 I find that to be very very true. Um, stop comforting people with the idea that we can somehow engineer our eternal home here and remind them of Romans 8, that I'm not even going to compare the suffering of this lifetime with the glory that is to be revealed to us in the age to come. That's, that's our, our, our hope. 
It, it, it almost makes me wonder how you avoid. Well, I don't know. I guess it's just it's just sort of a natural thing the Lord does in His people. But um, like, how could you avoid becoming an escapist if you really, really embrace that? Like, I don't want to be here. And it, you know, it was Paul's conflict. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord, and he doesn't right. know is it should I should I want to leave or should I want to stay? Because <laughs> yeah. it's obviously better right. if I leave. So I guess that's just the 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 constant conflict. We're ambassadors. Yeah. This isn't home, and we want to yeah. be there. But we we have yep. to be here. We have a purpose for being exactly, here. exactly. And that was you know Paul. Paul had this great attitude going back to the very you know section in uh, in, in Philippians that that you reference there is is look you know um, in, in other words Paul couldn't lose. Paul couldn't lose because yeah. his attitude was as long as I'm here, it means fruitful ministry for the Lord. Uh, and then if if these people who are trying to kill me finally succeed, well, so much the better. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and he's better by far. And so, you know, in that sense, Paul couldn't lose. If he's here, then praise the Lord, I'm going to glorify him, and I'm going to be fruitful for his glory. If they kill me, oh, man, Jesus is better by far. Yeah. You know, that is not pie in the sky. That's just Christianity. Yeah. And it's not only fruitful ministry that he says is good while it's here. Then you you add to that that he says suffering glorifies God. Right. Or it's, so it's like, right. it doesn't matter what you do to me. You don't even yep. have to let me yep. preach. Just beat me, and, and God will be glorified. Exactly. It's like, wow. Exactly. And, and unfortunately— too many American and, and Western preachers, and we've un, and we've imported this theology to Latin America and, and, and Africa, unfortunately. But too many Western preachers um, uh, uh, some, somehow uh, have have got it into their congregations' minds that um, that they should not go through those things. That it's not God's will for them to go through those things. Yep. And and that's just not biblical Christianity. But but again, the difference is, you know, where's my where's my hope mm-hmm. grounded? You know, where's my hope grounded? Um, and that way, then I can begin to look at at God's gentle providences towards me in this lifetime, as as comforting, nice, good gifts that He gives me along. And it, you know, instead, you know, what what typically surprises us is justice. You know, yeah. grace never surprises us. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we receive the, the kind providences of God as kind of the base level of what he owes us rather than being a surprise. And when justice or suffering comes along, it shocks us. Yeah. You know, and, and the Apostle Peter says, don't be surprised when these things happen to you. Mm. You know, don't be surprised by this. This is what you get in a world that hates God. Yeah. Wow. All right, let's do another one. Hey, Les. You know, for a long time, I was I was in a, a hard marriage, and uh, I didn't feel, obviously, that it was okay to divorce my wife over problems we were having. And, I mean, this was these were extreme circumstances where a lot of factors were playing out where people were saying, you know, we needed to be divorced, we needed to, you know, go separate ways because of events that were involved with children and things like that. Um, but I never felt convicted, you know, like I felt convicted that I had to suffer through this, this season of my life with my wife. And I think a lot of people, it, it's hard because I think a lot of people think that, you know, marriage is, they get the intention that, or the impression that marriage is supposed to be this easy thing, but 
you know, there is suffering in marriage and being united with someone else whenever you, you strive together to have a biblical marriage to, you know, respect your wife, to love your, or, you know, to love your wife and her respect you and, and you have these ideas of how that's supposed to look. But there is suffering involved in that. And I think, it, you know, you could, you guys could easily touch on in, in marriage suffering, but, you know, I do also think it's a call to sacrifice of ourselves, like Christ sacrificed for himself, you know, for his church, as we should be doing for the bride. And I think that could be a cool topic to touch on if you guys had time. So, anyways, uh, just celebrated, you know, past 10 years. So, uh, my wife and I are, are good, and we're happy to say it. So, but definitely a good topic. Praise God, ten years. Uh, that's a that's a great uh, thing to consider. Like marriage is such a great example of you know when you suffer in marriage because it's it's like on its face the whole thing like to avoid uh, you know all the problems that come with marriage it's about dying to self. Yeah, you know there's there's a lot of suffering that gets attached uh, to marriage. Anytime you you endeavor to love another individual. Um, it's almost like you're making an agreement with yourself that something about your own self-interest is going to have to take a back seat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, e- even even in a in a just a good Christian friendship, that's going to happen. Well, so much more in marriage. You know, the very relationship that that Jesus Himself uses to illustrate um, the sacrifice He made for His church. So there's going to be. Uh, there's going to be suffering. You know, I, th- I think about, you know, there's going to be suffering sometimes because our spouse sins against us and because we sin against our spouse. You know, the normal pains of learning how selfish you are. I mean, nothing's going to reveal that more uh, than than marriage. But also sometimes suffering is introduced in marriage because a spouse gets sick, let's say. Um, I remember crazy Pat Robertson just a couple years ago uh, in answer to a, to a question about uh, a spouse who gets Alzheimer's said that your spouse getting Alzheimer's is grounds for divorce because they're not the person you married anymore. Uh, you know, and I, you, you, yeah, you just want to go through the screen and strangle him and cause him some suffering. But um, I don't know if you want to air that or not. But yeah, go ahead. No, but, I, I I could add to it. <laughs> I think you know BB Warfield, the great uh, Princeton theologian uh, of the the late nineteenth and and turn of the 20th century, the great reformed uh, theologian B.B. Warfield, his wife was an invalid. She, she got sick not long after they got married, actually. And because of med- medis- medical practice the way it was in those days, days um, she could not be treated in a way that restored her to health. And, you know, his typical day was, you know, going and teaching and writing and then going home to care for his wife. And he did that for some 50 years. Um, you know, wow. that's what marriage looks like sometimes. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, um, his wife, after the birth of their sons, had a gynecological issue that they weren't able to treat successfully, unsurprisingly, in Victorian England. Mm. And and she became largely bedridden for the rest of their marriage. And yet he esteemed her and loved her and cherished her. And she had a fruitful ministry, even though she herself uh, struggled with her health uh, the rest of their, their marriage. You know, uh, there are stories where where that happens and and where the husband or the wife is given an opportunity in ways that they wouldn't have chosen mm-hmm. initially mm-hmm. Uh, to 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 love as Christ loved the church to literally lay down your life to sacrifice 
your desires, even even in some cases, uh, your sexual desires. You're given that op- you, you you are called to lay that down sometimes in a marriage where where the unforeseen happens. Yeah, and that becomes a a suffering that you carry with you for the sake of your beloved. And sometimes marriage, you know, marriage has given people the opportunity to do that a lot. Yeah. And it still does. It still does. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, we can all attest to that, that uh, if we're married, especially if you're the wife, you're always right. suffering at that. <laughs> you're idiot. Right. I don't know. I feel like it's got to be very hard <laughs> to be a married woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Uh, all right. One more. Hey, Les, this is Chuck. Interested in hearing your thoughts about um, how the different sources of suffering uh, play into our lives. I mean, there's suffering that's kind of self-induced. I screwed up, and now I'm suffering for it. There's the suffering that is from other people that uh, and how they affect us, you know, things, people doing bad things to us. And then there's the suffering that kind of comes directly from uh, the providences of God. So I'm interested in uh, hearing yours, uh, your thoughts about how each of those sources of suffering kind of plays into how we might react and uh, deal with those things. Thanks, and uh, love the show. Yeah, yeah, that's a question I get a lot. Actually, it's a really good question, and I think about Jesus's work. So, so in in um, Luke chapter 13, uh, Jesus is asked by a group of people about this horrendous thing that Pilate did at the temple. There were these Galilean Jews that had come, you know, made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They're offering their sacrifices, and, and Pilate, for, for whatever reason, um, basically has soldiers slaughter them right there. And, and, you know, and, they, and, they come, and, and people who hear, obviously this was big news among the Jews in Jerusalem, they come to Jesus and say, basically saying, you know, what, what's your response to this, this awful, awful, horrendous act of evil? And, you know, Jesus answers in two ways. He first says, well, how about this also? That, you know, perhaps you also heard about that tower in Siloam that collapsed and killed, you know, 17 people. So, so right there, Jesus is considering two different kinds of suffering. Mm-hmm. Suffering that comes from the wickedness of man and suffering that comes from a, quote, you know, a natural disaster. You know, these kind of two broad categories of suffering. And Jesus says, so let, let's look at this. Here, here's... Here's how I want you to respond to that, Jesus says. Repent. Mm. Repent. Because, because you're going to die at some point, too. You're going to die because a tower collapses on you or because an evil man takes your life or because of any other kind of, of reason. You know, you're going you're gonna to suffer. And so repent. Now, that's not the only thing Jesus had to say to those who were suffering. But in that moment, um, when, when he's asked the question, how do I how do I deal with this tremendous act of evil that cost these, these fellow Jews their lives? How do I do that? And Jesus said, well, as you're considering that, consider also this tower that collapsed. And, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your heart and repent because it should remind you that your life is short. Now, again, that's not the only thing we say, and it's not the only thing that Jesus and the scriptures tell us about suffering. But in that moment, we are to, be, we are to receive this, that when I observe those kinds of sufferings, whether they are the result of a natural disaster, whether they're the result of human evil, among the things I'm to be doing is to be looking at my heart Mm -hmm. and saying, God, help me to repent of my sin because my life could be gone like that. Yeah. 
And so, and, and that, that is among the appropriate responses, among the necessary responses that we are to bring when we consider suffering, you know, along with compassion for the sufferer, mm-hmm. along with, uh, you know, the, the consideration of, of, of the joy that awaits us in, the, in, in life in the age to come. Among those considerations is also to be this, repent, you know, I'm a sinner, I, keep, keep short accounts when it comes to my sin, mm-hmm. make, sure, make sure I'm ready, make sure my heart is ready. So there's, there's one part of me, sort of the way you, you just answered, that just wants to say, well, you know, Jesus seems to indicate that you shouldn't even really worry about where it's from or if it's if it's from satan or if it's from your governor or if it's from you know right. your own your own sin the at the end of the day the answer is just repent but right. but it does sort of shape my view of god how i answer that the how i see mm. see the suffering happen and i see that play out even more when <clears throat> again back to sort of like the cultural situation we're in I want to identify what's happening, at least to some degree, by saying that the Lord is judging His mm-hmm, people. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's He's judging His church. He's judging this nation for the wickedness that they've just, yep. you know, headlong jumped into now. Just, just embraced it, loved it, celebrating sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's clear, and I think we should be able to say that's a judgment. But then people want to people want to come back at that and say, no, 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 you can't, you know, you can't read God's providence and tell us or, you know, announce to other people that they're being judged if you don't have a specific, like, right. verse from God, which we're not going to have in, in our day and age. Yeah. So, so I mean, is there, any, is there any weight to be put on trying to identify the source of suffering? Yeah, I, I, I think that there can be value, in, and, and I agree where I think you were headed on, on that one point, which is, you know, there are some things you don't have to be a prophet to understand. Yes. There are some things you don't have to be an apostle to understand. And good grief, we're over, you know, in terms of abortion, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, we, we've run past the 60 million mark. It, it, you know, we, we literally have streets filled with people waving signs of pride over what God calls an abomination. Yes. Is it really a leap to say that in some of these ways God is judging us? I mean, come on, we... We are told we can read signs. I mean, you know, Jesus told us mm-hmm. that we can read the signs. You know, we, again, you don't have to have some kind of a charismatic gift of prophecy to know that God judges wickedness and to perceive that the, the, the sufferings in this world are in some way birth pains of the judgment that is, of the final judgment that is to come. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that there's value in in being able to, in a limited way for sure, because we aren't prophets in that way, but to be able to discern certain things. So, so I want to be, you know, if, if my suffering is the result, you know, is a direct result of something sinful and stupid I did, I, it's helpful for me to know that. Yes. Um, and, to, and to not act ignorantly about that and to go, oh, you know, who knows why this relationship fell apart? Well, it's because you did something really sinful. That's why. Right. You know, if, 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 you know, I, I have dealt in the past with people, both men and women, who violated in really egregious ways their marriage vows. And one of the things that they need to see, sometimes, sometimes they see it and embrace it immediately, but I've had to sit and get people to, to finally verbalize, no, you're, you're talking like this 
like this hardship you're going through is just undiscernible. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know how? No, no. You chose to have sex with three different people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's why this is, you know, so there's value in knowing those things. There's, you know, uh, what I would say is that some of the, some of the other kinds of suffering are, so, so if somebody gets cancer, um, and and somebody comes up to you and says, "I know why you got your cancer." Just turn their volume off immediately yeah. at that point. You know, now sure. there are, there are good pastoral reasons to tell an adulterer that the reason why he's so miserable right now is because of his adultery. But that's a far cry from trying to tell a person that that oh well, I know why your wife died. Just stop it. Just yeah. stop it. Right. There's, there's a logical connection between I'm I'm miserable because my wife left yes. me. That connects directly back to well, you cheated on her. Right. Right. That's highly discernible. And the reason is is because God is waving a red flag in your face and saying you need to repent. Yeah, sir. And just you know use wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Use use you know God gives us wisdom in His Word. You know. Well, thank you so much for for joining me on the show. Uh, is there anything that you're that you have going on currently that you'd like to let uh, my audience know about? Um, you know, I never have anything going on. Less, I'm I'm just a I'm just a simple pastor in the Shenandoah Valley, uh, who 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 you know records a podcast with this guy with this awesome English accent every once in a while. That's all accent. I do. Uh, but no, nothing nothing uh, nothing new. You know. Um, uh, I, I would I would encourage folks you know read read good stuff on on suffering and fortunately there there are some good things um, out there on it and and be compassionate with one another and patient with one another um, in in those trials and um, uh, yeah keep uh, keep keep your eyes on Christ through this through this stuff we are in a time where people are going through heavy duty stuff I, I see the covid thing as as a spike of of extra hardship in the midst of the hard things that people were already going through so let's love each other well through this junk amen his podcast is called mortification of spin check it out todd pruitt thanks for being here my pleasure all right thanks for listening guys see you next time mm-hmm.